0: I advocate with purpose for
1: myself, for others, for my child, for my husband. As women, we have so much power, but how do we access it? This podcast explores how to harness the power of purpose so that together we can be a driving force for good. I'm your host, Joe Tropiano, and I'm excited to be with you today as we learn from women who have made the choice to embrace and unleash. Their power of purpose. Hi, everybody. Joe Tropiano here. I am the COO of Purpose Jewelry and your host of the With Purpose podcast. And we are so excited, I am excited, (laughs) to talk to one of my very dear friends, Blythe Hill, just about who she is and about this amazing organization that she started, anti-trafficking organization called Dressember Foundation. We're going to dive into all of that. But I'm even more excited because we're going to spend a little bit of time, maybe most of the time today, talking about mental health issues and the effect that mental health issues can have on us as women, as mothers, as wives, as friends, as professionals, and how do we take something that could be potentially really hard, really tough to overcome? And how do we alchemize that and turn it into something something beautiful and purpose-filled? But I want to give a little bit of background on on Blythe Hill, just so that you guys will, will know who she is a little bit. But Blythe Hill is the founder of Dress Ember Foundation, which is an anti-trafficking foundation that I've been blessed to be involved with for several years. As founder Blythe overseas, she started it, This was her idea. We're going to talk a little bit about that. She oversees the strategic vision of the organization. And I know that you're passionate about really growing passion about the overlap between labor trafficking and the apparel industry, because you have a background in fashion, but also just super passionate about restoring dignity to women around the world. And I do love that you love a good pun. So we'll talk about that. <laughs> we'll talk about that too. But in terms of that, can you can you just take us on a brief journey of how Dressember started? Yeah.
0: So first off, thanks for inviting me on. Super excited to chat with you about all of this. So Dressember started initially as a style challenge without any campaign or cause attached to it at all. It was just something I decided to to do in 2009. I was in college and just had this fun idea to try wearing a dress every day for a month and happened to have the idea in November. And so I said, okay, in December, I'll wear a dress every day. And that became Dressember, which I loved. I love puns, like you said, and I love a good name. And so I did it and never planned on doing it again. But the next year, some of my friends wanted to do it. And then the next year, some of their friends wanted to do it. And it kind of just kept snowballing. You know, I joke that I have a lot of bad ideas that never, like never get anywhere. So seeing it, seeing it go beyond my immediate circle told me like, oh, this is a good idea. I I should do something with this. And I had been Really interested in the issue of human trafficking for a few years at that point and also really frustrated because it felt like there was nothing that I could do as a student other than scrape together 20 bucks here and there to give to an organization, which is super important. Don't undervalue the importance of small gifts but I wanted to do more. I wanted to do something tangible. I felt like I needed to reroute my career towards like criminal justice or social work or psychology. And none of those pathways really felt true to who I am. And so then I just was super frustrated. Like I'm so passionate about this issue, but I feel so powerless to do anything about it and so when dressember started growing a friend said like oh you should turn this into a fundraiser and i kind of sat on that for a year or two and then decided to go out on a limb and align dressember with anti-trafficking and initially in 2013 set a huge goal what i thought was a huge goal of $25,000 and we hit that in 3 days and then and then we raised $165,000 in a month and um I was like, oh, this is a much better idea than I realized. And so filed as a, as a nonprofit and yeah, fast forward eight years, we have raised over $13 million through primarily this campaign.
1: That's amazing. And how many people, I mean, $13 million in what, eight years, you said, how many people, you know, as Dressember is building into a movement, how many people have you engaged? Would you say? through this movement of Dress Ember.
0: Our supporter community is about 150,000 people across the world in terms of the people who like register and commit to wearing a dress or now a tie during the month of December. We've had about 35,000 people total in the last eight years be part of that. So it's a big, dynamic, super diverse community for sure.
1: Yeah. And that's something that I love so much about, about Dressumber, you know, as you know, somebody who I've worked in anti-trafficking now for several years and in various capacities. And, you know, I think one of the biggest barriers to entry, and this is a question that, you know, I feel like, especially as women, we're always asking is what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? We want to live lives of greater purpose. And we're, we're not necessarily sure how to do that or how to get engaged. And what I love so much about Dress Summer is it bridges that gap between what can I do and, you know, being able to take very tangible steps Toward doing something, and doing it with people, with a community of people, and that's what I think is so beautiful. I mean, I, I can always remember the frustration of working with donors and saying, "I want to do more than give money." Like you said, mm-hmm. more than the twenty dollars, I want to do more than than give money. But I'm not a lawyer, I'm not an investigator, I'm not a social worker, and I ask those questions. Of myself personally. What what can I do? And Dress Ember answers that question so beautifully of you can commit a month of your time and make a decision to really bring awareness and bring resources to bear to this issue because this issue needs people and it needs resources. And so Mm -hmm. Dress Ember is such a great way to do that. I have another question for you. You talk about your passion to restore. Dignity to women around the world, what does that mean to you?
0: yeah, so I you know for me, the issue of human trafficking is it's very personal. took me a couple years to connect like I really took for granted like oh this this is the thing everyone would care about as much as I do if they if they knew the facts, but really took me a couple years to connect my why with this issue, and it's because of my own personal experience of sexual abuse as a little girl i had just the experience of for, I mean, it's like the the awful experience in itself over a couple instances. And then even more than that is like decades of carrying that trauma Mm -hmm. and unpacking questions around my identity and my worth and value and I have seen firsthand what sexual abuse does to a person and especially a child. And so that for me is the gas in my tank that is like perpetually filling or motivating me is no one, no one should have to experience any of that. So if I can prevent that before it starts, awesome. That's the goal ultimately. But not only that, because I have been privileged to have access to support and resources and therapy for years. Like, you know, it's, it's taken years of therapy to really unpack and heal from that experience and the different like layers of trauma there. But because of that, I know that restoration is possible. And so I'm also really passionate about, okay, for people who who do experience this, who have experienced this, we need to get them the resources and the support so that they can move on. They can heal and, and not feel defined by their abuse experience. So super passionate about that specific to women and girls. Cause it is, you know, when we're talking about sex trafficking or sexual exploitation, it's like majority women and girls that are impacted.
1: I remember, I believe we were on this trip together on a trip to Guatemala in one of the the field offices, you know, this was back when, when we were doing, I was doing work with International Justice Mission, um, which is a, an organization that fights against violence, against vulnerable people, vulnerable communities. And we were going to Guatemala where they were specifically working on issues of sexual violence against children. And were, were you, I've I've been a couple of times. And so you'll have to remind me if this is the trip that we were on together, where we went to a... I don't want to say a party. That's not the right word. But it was. It was like a. It was at IJM's field office in Guatemala, where they recognized these tiny children,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or speaking out against, basically telling their story and speaking out against their perpetrator, alleged perpetrator, and we were pinning hero pins on them mm-hmm. for speaking out. Right? You were on that trip, right? That was the trip. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was on. That. It was super
0: impactful for me.
1: It was so powerful, and I just remembered thinking, you know, because similar to you, I I have also experienced sexual molestation as a as a child, as a four year old, and just thinking, man, if I could have been in the place where these children now are because of this ma- amazing work that IJM is doing, and that that they're doing even through work, you know, you through your foundation, to be able to celebrate the courage of speaking out, being able to find that voice and saying what happened to you at such a young age and to be able to say it with your parents, your aunts, your uncles, your grandmother, all there in support of you, how that could have deeply changed. Like you said, the decades of trauma and having to unpack those layers, you know? Yeah. I
0: think you're totally right. Cause so much of it is like, there's so much shame, and there's so much there's so much hidden, or like you know the, it's like everyone involved is just trying not to talk about it because of the shame, and the more you can shine a light on that, the less power any of that has over anyone.
1: So I think right. to... bringing it to light, exactly. You know, if it does happen, bringing it to light can be very powerful and dignifying. You know, I think in a lot of ways. I remember Gary saying for
0: that like ceremony he had his talk at the beginning and Saying that, like, how much bravery it takes to tell the truth in a situation like that, that's so scary. And a lot of those kids, like, went into a courtroom and did this. And I still remember that day so clearly. And I think they called it a hero ceremony, like, you yes. said, hero <laughs> yeah. and his talk, like, you know, you are our heroes. Mm-hmm. You did something really brave. And yeah, the power of having adults you know when you're a kid and having an entire justice system say that was wrong what happened to you was wrong and the freedom that they hopefully then have to to move forward from that point is really beautiful
1: for sure you know you've been open about your struggles with mental health can you talk a little bit about what those struggles are specifically as you've journeyed through through working through through trauma in your life and building dressember and building a family what are some of those struggles that you've that have impacted you personally
0: yeah so i i am pretty sure that i have dysthymia which is kind of chronic low grade depression because i I have a, historically, sorry, it's not funny, but it's like, you have to laugh, you know? Um, <laughs> good, like, I, I have like functioning depression where like, I it has never, I mean, sure. I like at times in life, like want to stay in bed all day, but I, because I have a child or because I have responsibilities, like have always been able to will myself out of bed and like kind of mm-hmm. keep going and keep functioning. But at the lowest points, you know, I can think of a few sort of, moments in my life where, I mean, going back to like age 15 and all the way, you know, as recently I'm 36 now. So I think I was like 32, 33. The last time this happened where, you know, at its lowest point, I do find myself thinking these alarming thoughts about, you know, I'm not afraid of death. It would be better. It would be easier for everyone if I were just not here. Mm -hmm. And being able to imagine different ways to make that happen. And Mm. in some ways I'm grateful for this sort of long relationship I have with depression because I know that it's sort of this ocean that will go, you know, the tide will go in and it will come out. And so I know to just ride it, (laughs) to ride it out, but it is, it is not easy and it's exhausting. It's, Mm. it's a thing I have proactively been learning to manage and am more recently really proactively trying to overcome because I had this this conversation with my husband about six months ago where I we were, we were talking about my mental health and I said like you know I, I feel like I am at a point where I have learned to manage like learn to live with this and he said well, it's hard from my perspective because you, you've been sad for a long time. Mm -hmm. And that was just like a hard thing to hear because from my perspective, I've been like all over the place, but you know, like I can feel a lot of moods in one day, in one hour, but from his perspective, what he has seen or his experience is the sadness and having a two year old son, it's just different. It's different for me where, you know, I, it's one thing to learn to manage it myself. And it's another thing to ask my husband and my son to also manage it or like deal with it, cope with it. Mm -hmm. And so I have been exploring different, I guess, like methods of therapy, more like somatic therapy Recently, that I'm excited about, I'm pretty much like committed to being a lifer on antidepressants at this point. Um, <laughs> here, here. Yeah. And I I try to run every day. I hate running. Let me tell you, I hate running so much. But I do think that it helps mm. keep the, the baseline a little higher. And I'm not. I'm not good. At, I'm not fast. <laughs> I'm like plodding along. Getting out. <laughs> yeah, getting out, moving. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a real brief history of where I've been and where I'm at, but it's, it's something I'm obviously super open about because I think mental health is super important. It's as important as our physical health Mm. um, for
1: sure. How do you think mental health and how do you think that relates to dignity for you? This wasn't a question I had planned. It just popped in my head because I'm curious to hear I'm curious to hear your thoughts about it. You know, does it work together or is it two totally separate things? I think it
0: absolutely works together. I think, you know, in the same way we talk about health holistically, or when I look at like freedom, there are so many different facets of freedom there's physical freedom, emotional, mental, spiritual freedom. And I think dignity is really similar where our experience of dignity we experience dignity in the way others treat us we absolutely experience dignity in how we treat ourselves and talk to ourselves and mental health is so connected to that you know it's like the driver for how we talk to ourselves often and so yeah i see it as super connected and i'm i'm thinking specifically of something i didn't expect to happen in this journey of like experiencing sexual abuse, being compelled to this work. I see that connection clearly. But then what surprised me is, you know, we talked about like the layers of trauma and sort of residual stuff that just sticks around. And I realized at a certain point, like if I'm going to advocate for the dignity of all these other women and girls and, you know, advocate for, you know, basically say this is wrong been too wrong. It's not, your fault. it's not your shame to bear, you know, by doing that for them, I'm doing that for myself too. And so I think there's something, I guess with, with Dressimber again, back like advocating for dignity of others, you're also just inherently, you know, you can't, those aren't mutually exclusive things advocating for others and yourself in this case. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's all
1: mental. Yeah. I, I think that that's so true. I mean, I think that's such a good point. In this work that is so specific of taking up this cause of, of fighting against anti-trafficking and fighting for dignity of women around the world, that has to be inherent in yourself too, right? You can't, you can't continue to do it. I mean, you can maybe do it for a short time, but if you aren't fighting for your own worth and your own dignity and your own voice, eventually you're going to get tired. You know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to quit. You're going to, you're not going to be able to make it. So it is the, it is these same parallels of fighting for your own voice, your own agency, your own dignity, and also fighting for the dignity of others. But also I think what's interesting is that in doing this work, that doesn't mean that all of these other issues like the depression and all of that goes away. You know, I can also see that there could be some people like, oh, my gosh, you must you must be so happy. You're doing what you love. You're you're pursuing your passion. You're this, you're that. Why are you depressed? I mean, what do you think some of those fallacies are about mental health and depression that you hear? (laughs) Do you hear that ever? Do you hear that kind of a line of thinking ever (laughs) in your shame for feeling depressed, I guess, is what it would be? Yeah, I've definitely seen that. I don't know that.
0: I mean, fortunately, I'm grateful. I don't know that anyone has like said that to me super recently, but I even, I was thinking the other day about how I remember being in college and attending a church and finding out that this woman was depressed or like suffering from depression. And she was like, my experience of her was that she was smiling all the time and she was married and had three beautiful sons. And I remember thinking like, that's so strange. Like I can't, I can't imagine why she would be depressed. And of course, Mm -hmm. like realizing (laughs) like at that time, I, I think I thought that getting married and having kids would somehow cure my depression or that that was like belonging in me or that the healthy longing for that in me was also was equated with the depression somehow, but yeah, it has nothing to do with your circumstances. A lot of the time, I mean, sometimes you can definitely be triggered by circumstances. And I mean, in my experience, really small things can trigger it, but there are so many things that factor in to mental health that yeah the stigma's got to go because i mean there is such thing as smiling depression and functional depression and it does not help at all to hear like
1: look at everything that you do have and i think even like, the stories that we tell ourselves you know i think it's a stigma that i think that i have even for myself of i'm doing something that i love i have an amazing husband i have a beautiful daughter i have a home i have all of these things that you know that so many people don't have that, like you said, don't have access to, I, I can take medication. I can see a therapist. Why am I still depressed? And then you start to feel that, oh, you know, that that same shame spiral of I've got to get it together. I shouldn't be this way. Yeah, I don't know if you struggle. Oh, yeah.
0: Not only am I depressed, I'm also ungrateful, you know,
1: <laughs> exactly. And but those are not the same thing. Depression and not being grateful is that's such a lie, you know?
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. You
1: can be grateful and depressed. <laughs> you know, I can be so grateful for all that I have. And still when the alarm goes off, go, Oh my gosh, I don't know if I can get out of bed today you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think there's, you know, still a lot of misunderstanding around it that somehow you can will yourself out of it on your own or through prayer or, you know, fill in the blank. There's a magic bullet that you're not finding or not <laughs> willing to take. But I want in, in oh, experience, it takes time and it takes outside support, mm-hmm. which is often the last thing that you want to- You know, you're it's exhausting. So, like, the idea of reaching out is is also exhausting because the possibility of being misunderstood or being somehow shamed is,
1: or even hearing no's. I mean, I can remember the last time that I was really struggling with a bout of depression, and I think every therapist that I called was full, you know, so you're already like trying to, it's already like a whole, it took, takes three weeks to finally. Get the energy and the courage to call a therapist who you've been told to call. And then you call them and they're like, Oh, sorry, I'm not taking any more new clients, but I hope you get better. You know? And then it's like, Oh my gosh, now I got to call another one. (laughs) It's just like, so I think, and then the support of the people who are closest to you, support and understanding and resources for people around you. Um, because you aren't, you're like you said, you know, your children are here, your husband is here, your family is here. that your coworkers, you know, we both work in small organizations, so our coworkers are now not immune to, <laughs> to our depression as well, you know. I want to read something that you said. I'm gonna give me a second to find it. And this was on the heels of a conversation that you and I even, I feel like had recently were, It was supposed to be a work conversation. And I was like, "Ah!" (laughs) (laughs) and you were so encouraging to me, just even in talking to somebody who understands that struggle from a a personal place. And oh my goodness. Okay. I had just found it and then it closed. I'm looking on your Instagram page. Is this it? No. Bear with me, everyone, because I really want to read this quote that you said you can probably find it. Oh, here it is. And this was around your birthday. And you said, when I look back, I'll remember another birthday. This one filled with kisses and toddler tears. When I look back, I'll remember the kisses. I'll remember the kisses over the tears. I'll remember hearing bear your son's footsteps in our dark cabin at 6am and him climbing into bed with us over the fact that it was a terrible night's sleep, skipping rocks into a calm bay over relentless wines for snacks. I'm exhausted, but grateful. And I remember there was just something that you said to me of how when we look back on our life, we tend to remember the good things over the bad, despite the struggle, despite the bad, despite the depression. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that means for you? Because that was powerful to me and how that relates to you in your daily life. Yeah, it's become really powerful for me and
0: it comes up surprisingly often because I think we like, we all do it. Like we all, whether it's sort of like reminiscing about a past season I think it's super easy to do, especially when you have a kid to like your phone gives you those reminder photos of like when they were so little and just like, oh, my gosh, I missed that phase. And that's a perfect example, because like if you really remember that phase, it was a shit show, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like surviving like that's probably the best example of, of what we're talking about is like when you're in a season, all you can see is the things that you would change about it. Or that's my experience. <laughs> like yeah. That's my, my natural instinct is to just see the things that I would change or like be looking to the future of like what I hope is next. But then when we look back, it's the good things that we miss most. And so I remember a few years ago, like just something clicked where I was like, I want to live this season appreciating those things that I know I'll miss instead of like focusing, locking in on the things that I would change. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy. It's like such a discipline. Definitely haven't mastered it, but it seems to resonate with a lot of people. I think a lot of us do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember you, I mean, I know that we say this and it's kind of jargony or whatever, but but it it truly is about being present and stepping into that present and not being so focused on what could be or what might come, you know, waiting for that other ball to drop, but just really being present and in that moment and knowing that this season is going to pass quickly. You know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Well, I know that we are coming up to the end. So I have just a couple more questions, but what does purpose mean to you? If someone was to come to you and say, I don't know what my purpose is, I don't know how to find it. Hmm what would you say to them? What does it mean to you? I can relate to that. I can relate to that feeling
0: of like, oh, I want to find my purpose. And actually I was really inspired not too long ago hearing something Liz Bohannon said, Seiko founder. She said, I'm going to paraphrase. Purpose isn't something you find. It's something you build. And I really like that because we talk about purpose as this like ethereal, like if you find it, you're lucky but i i do think like i mean even looking at my own life i sort of took a series of small steps towards something that interested me i was i had to be willing to fail and look stupid in the process if it failed and still like i i in order to serve this thing that i'm building i have to be willing to ask for help i have to be willing to do any task in the organization so, yeah, I think that resonates with me is like your purpose isn't this like it's not something outside of you to find inside you that you need to like suss out and find. It's something you you build over time and it can change. It's like my purpose today is to do the best I can at leading this organization and leading a, a team of people. Well, it's being the best mom I can be, the best wife I can be. I think in a lot of ways, it helps me to take it from a macro level of like, what's my purpose in life to like, well, what's, what's my purpose today? Because again, I want it to change. I I mean, like over time, I want it to evolve and become more nuanced. Hmm,
1: That's awesome. How would you fill in this blank? I Blythe Hill blank with purpose. I advocate
0: with purpose for myself, for others for my child, for my husband.
1: That's awesome. (laughs) I love that. Thanks so much for sharing. I know there's a lot of really awesome things going on with Dressumber. I want to end just by you sharing about the documentary, where people can find it, how people can register. Of course, all of this will be in the show notes. We also have a really fun event coming up November 18th at Purpose Jewelry headquarters in Irvine with Dress Ember, where we're going to be showing the Dress Ember documentary. You're going to be able to shop uh, Purpose Jewelry. We're going to have some good wine, some bites, and we're going to hear from Blythe. So, well, well I actually don't know. Will you be there? <laughs> You're not going to be there. we are going to, on on. Going to yeah. hear from on the Dress Ember team um, who will be there, but to yeah. you know, end the show by talking about how people can get involved with Dress Ember, where they can find the Dress Ember documentary. And then also we will keep you posted with your local to Orange County, LA, and you want to come view the documentary in person. We will be sending out invites this week or the following week. So talk about that. Love it.
0: Yeah. That's going to be super fun. I wish I could be in Southern California to go to that. Or if you are, if you're watching. Yeah. You <laughs> Yeah, I think the, the best place for anyone to go right now is dressember.org/slash video because you can watch the video, you can scroll down and register for the campaign or sign up for the collective, you can download a guide to host your own screening party, which we would love if you do. It's only a 17-minute film, so it's very Digestible, but it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. It's a packed little film, and my hope, our hope, is that it will inspire you to join this work that we're doing and and help us to continue growing our impact. And, and also is- follow us on Instagram because that's like the the most up to date channel for news and stuff.
1: And it is beautiful. I I was lucky enough to get to one be a part of it and two get to see it a little bit early. And I mean, I know that I cry at everything, but I did cry watching the video. It's just so good. It's so heartwarming. And I think if you are looking for a way to get involved with these issues affecting so many women around the world and girls around the world, children around the world, this documentary will inspire you to do that. So I really encourage you to go to Dress Embers website, go to Dress Ember's Instagram and learn more about how you can get involved and how you can stream this amazing documentary. So thank you so much, Blythe, for being here today. We're grateful for you and we're grateful for the ways that you are making the world a better place. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. We're happy to be here. All right. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to today's episode of With Purpose. We are so glad you're here on this journey with us to living lives of greater purpose. To learn more about how you can get involved with Purpose Jewelry or International Sanctuary, visit us at www.purposejewelry.org and follow us on social media at Purpose Jewelry. I'm Joe Tropiano, and we will see you next time.